You are listening to the Salty Witches Podcast. This is Mike, and I'm going to be your host for this mini-episode. Uh, this week just got so crazy for us with just situations at the shop, uh, making a new product, teaching, and, and basically we just we really didn't have an opportunity to schedule a full episode. Um, <clears throat> so today... For this mini episode, just something to kind of you know tie everybody over until next week. Um, I thought it would be fun to talk about uh, osteomancy, throwing the bones, um, <clears throat> and you know, and other other uh, things maybe relating to different processes of sortilage. Um, I wanted to talk about this because I just taught a class on this within the last week, and it's always such a fun class to teach. People are increasingly uh, curious about connecting with these very old practices. And uh, yeah, I just thought it might be fun to maybe share some of the information from that class here. So uh, let's let's dive in. Uh, the first thing that I like to do when I talk to people about osteomancy as a practice is again to, to kind of have a bit of a discussion around uh, the universality of this practice. This is something um, I think if we, we look at our I think are, are the most accurate archaeological uh, evidence that we have, at least around this kind of practice, we do see that this is something that did most likely originate in uh, what would have been Africa and uh, and Asia, parts of Asia as well. Um, I think from Africa, it kind of moved up and pretty soon became just a popular kind of a practice throughout the Mediterranean. And uh, because of that, and we're talking, you know, thousands of years ago, right? Uh, but because of that, though, uh, and because of the way that those cultures would often uh, trade and, and, and connect in different ways, we do see that osteomancy, as it is practiced in different forms, um, is something that really has ties now to basically every culture and every people in the world. So I know a lot of us these days are trying really hard to make sure that we are... Um, you know, decolonizing our craft and that we are not appropriating practice. Uh, but I'm going to tell you right now that it would be really fairly difficult to appropriate or to consider osteomancy as an appropriated practice. Um, of course, with the exception of a few uh, specific types of readings that people will do in closed religions. Um, and, and closed spiritual practices. So if you're someone that is, you know, trying to be mindful of that, don't worry. You can do this and you're really, you're not stepping on anybody's toes, right? Um, so I, I think that in our area of the world, I should say, excuse me, my area of the world here in uh, North America, uh, I think the most popular traditions around osteomancy um, are really going to have, to this day, their roots in uh, the folk magic practices that we see, you know, conjure, hoodoo, uh, root work, uh, many of the practices coming out of uh, Latin America and Mesoamerica, um, you know, these are all uh, spiritual traditions that are going to have uh, pretty, pretty intense divinatory practices and osteomancy is a component of those things. So let's talk about from, from history, let's switch now to uh, the process maybe of creating a set or a kit for yourself, okay? Um, and obviously this is really going to be pretty common sense kinds of stuff, but in looking at, you know, getting into osteomancy, not only do you need to, of course, collect your bones and your, your throwing items, right? But uh, but you're also going to want to make sure that you have a good container for your set, right? Um, I, I recommend like just a good sturdy bag. I carry mine in just a leather bag that I hand stitched. Uh, but I've seen people uh, keep their sets in boxes, you know, um, basically something that will just protect the items that you use to throw. Um, beyond that, it might be good for you as you are looking to learn, as you are looking to learn and grow um, in, in your, your skill around this, you know, to begin with, to actually maybe prepare some sort of a throwing mat 
or um, even like a bowl in, in a lot of areas of the world. They'll use like a broad um, kind of low platter shaped bowl and uh, they'll cast their items into that. Um, the benefit to something like a throwing mat or a bowl is that it will give you, um, the, it gives you the ability to kind of map out the uh, areas of a reading where your items might possibly land. You know, so you can do that in many ways, but it would be common to see, you know, uh, an area of a throwing mat kind of designated as, you know, this is issues around love life, right? This is issues over here. This one is around work and career, right? This area over here is maybe for money, um, finance, you know, uh, health, who knows, the things that, that really kind of move through all of our, our, our lives, right? The things that we really all have concern over. Um, and, you know, and I think that that can, again, be really helpful having a tool, an additional tool like a throwing mat or uh, a casting bowl can be really beneficial as you are learning. But I always stress when I teach this class that that is something that should be used to learn, uh, but should eventually be something that you turn away from or that you remove from your your practice of, of throwing and, and reading your bones um, mainly because you you would it would probably make sense that something like that even though it would have the ability to help you to kind of map out meaning you know in in particular quadrants or areas you know as items fell into those areas over time you're going to find that that could be something that could also hinder your intuitive ability to decipher and uh, and, and you know, really basically to do the reading. So um, so start with it, use it, but ideally the, the goal is to try to get away from that. Um, the same could be said as I'm thinking about that. You know, there are um, a lot of things out there now, you know, um, that would be, I almost want to say like diagrammatic as it would relate to particular spiritual practices. You know, here in the shop, we have a lot of people that come in who um, are very interested in learning and working with the pendulum as a tool. And one of the first things that they do is is ask, you know, do we do we sell mats? Do we sell pendulum mats? Right. And yes, we do, uh, because we can see the value in having something like that to learn. But uh, but again, once you've developed the familiarity with the tool, you really do probably want to move away from something like a mat. That is um, something kind of like, like, these are your training wheels, right? And once you've got the thing down, like it's it's time to take the training wheels off the bike, right? Um, so yeah, so pendulum mats. Um, I've, I've seen a lot of people that like to do crystal gridding work. They sell like these little things that you can buy that'll have like pre-established little marks, like little wood you know, little wood plaques that'll have pre-established marks for where you put your crystals and your stones. And again, while you're learning and developing some knowledge there, wonderful. But um, but if you have to continue to fall back or rely on something like that, you know, that, that makes it pretty clear that you're not really working maybe as intuitively as you could be. Um, so trust your gut and trust your spirits. Your spirits work with you when you do these things. Um, speaking once again on... Um, components of a kit <clears throat> you know you'll want to remember that many of the items that people will choose to add to uh, a kit the, the items that you actually throw or cast um, some of these can be delicate you know and you want to be very mindful of that make sure that you don't pick something that is um, instantly going to crumble right um, you know people love uh, and and they're easy to find uh, you know but they like to use smaller bones in their their sets and that there's nothing wrong with that necessarily but in the process of uh reading and working with that set sooner or later those small bones they they do they do begin to to deteriorate or, or deteriorate or break down so be mindful of that make sure that you are putting items in your set that are going to um 
hold up, basically, right? It's not uncommon over the course of a few years to need to replace an item in your set. So, I mean, it's not that that won't ever happen. It absolutely will. But uh, but that shouldn't be something that you're having to, to do, like, you know, too consistently. Um, yeah, so again, just something to consider. Keep it simple when you're looking at items to add to a, a throwing set. Um, a lot of people fall into this more is better kind of an, an idea or belief around these things. Um, but that is indeed not the case, particularly when it comes to osteomagic practice and throwing bones. Um, you, you don't need to have three or four items in a, in a throwing set that are going to represent money. One is enough. Um, you know, so, so be mindful of that. More items in a set is, if anything, just going to create confusion as you are trying to learn. And it's going to muddy up your readings as you cast your your items and you are then doing your interpretation um too many things landing on that table whatever it is you're reading on that that's going to be confusing um it's going to confuse your reading and it's going to prolong the time that it takes you to do a reading as you are looking at all of those different pieces so keep it simple more is not better I always tell people when they're doing this to look for it natural items, and there's no hard and fast rule on that, you know, particularly, particularly when we look at the practice of sortilage. Um, so sortilage as a, a very close cousin to osteomancy, um, sortilage is going to involve um, items that don't really have or would not necessarily have to have origin in, um, you know, like biological kinds of things, and I guess trying to say that in an easier way, maybe, you, you can put whatever you want pretty much in a sortilage set, where, uh, again, if you're working traditionally with osteomancy or, or um, the kind of set that you would work for that, you're, you're sticking strictly to, like, bones, teeth, shells, things that actually have, like, organic, like, these came from animals or other living creatures, right? Um, <clears throat> so, so sortilage is a bit different in that that's where you see the addition of things, maybe, like, dominoes, dice, um, other other man-made kinds of things, right? Um, and and there's no there's no right or wrong about that, or really because it comes down to you and your practice, and what you want to use basically to interpret. Um, but I, I always want to say, even in working with sortilage, to do what you can to try to source uh, natural, organic materials. You know, if you wanted to add something like a domino or uh, say like like dice a die to your uh, throwing set, you know, you, you do, do a little bit of maybe extra digging and see if you can find something that would be made of, you know, say bone or shell. Um, it was really common, I think, many, many years ago, probably not so much now, as we, you know, we've moved so much more into like resins and plastics and things, but um, it was really common at one point to be able to find dominoes and dice and things like that, where they, they'd actually been made from bone. Um, so again, not not an absolute, entirely your choice. Um, and I, I always wanna, again, remind people to go with what is um, not only going to be your choice, Choice, but what is also going to be available to you as it would maybe relate to uh, maybe your financial situation, right? You, you maybe, maybe you don't have the resources. You don't want to spend a lot of money trying to assemble a throwing set, and there's nothing wrong with that. You, you do not need to go out and spend hundreds of dollars to put together a throwing set. That set is not going to read any differently or any better for you if it's more expensive. All right, <clears throat> so let's talk a little bit about some items, okay? And again, I wanna stress that these kinds of practices are um, rooted in folk traditions from all over the world. 
which means that there's a lot of wiggle room. There's a lot of, of fluidity in there around what you can choose, what would be considered traditional. Um, you know, beyond that, your personal connections to items always need to be considered. Right. Having said that, there are some things that I would recommend that you consider adding to a set because they have, well, how to, how to word this. They, they do tend to carry kind of more of a traditional interpretation a lot of the times in multiple cultures and practices. Um, these items also I, I have found over the years as I've worked with my own sets, as I've helped other people assemble their sets and incorporating, including these kinds of items, I have found that these also bring a particular kind of spirit to the set. Um, so again, just something to consider. But um, I want to uh, also, I guess I should also stress before I kind of go into this list, that when working with bones and organic materials, or organic items that you've gotten that have been sourced from our, our animal friends, right, we need to make sure that we are uh, doing everything we can to respect and honor the spirits of those animals. You know, we've talked on the podcast a lot about uh, the concept of animism and the understanding, the belief in folk traditions, in witchcraft traditions, that, um, you know, these these spirits, these beings, that they, they all have a, a soul and intelligence, that there is something there. That animistic spirit is something that needs to be honored when we work with the remains of any kind of animal. Even our plant spirit friends, right? We need to, to be be honoring those spirits. So so take a bit of time. Um, anytime you add an item to your set, take a bit of time maybe to to say thank you or to you know just acknowledge you know like oh this this is from this spirit. This is the power. I understand that this holds, and I'm so thankful for this spirit. You know um, you know in your own words, right? But something like that is always going to be good practice, and it's going to help you to better connect to your throwing set. It's going to make sure that your set has a better energy as you continue to work with it, all right? Um, as we're talking about components um, derived from animals, um, I, I want you to also remember that when it comes to bones, one of the easiest ways to assign interpretive meaning to those is to pay attention to how that bone was used biologically, like, you know, just basically, you know, the skeletal structure, the use, the purpose, what that bone does for the body from which it came, right? So, for instance, okay, and I'm going to kind of go into our list now, okay, knuckle bones, right? Knuckle bones in a lot of uh, practices are interpreted as, or they are, are something that point to work, right? Not necessarily career, but like the physical work that we do. So it can absolutely be your job or your career path, but it's the work that we do. Like we're getting our, our hands in there, right? So we see the association of hands, fingers, knuckles, right? So we're doing the work. So knuckle bones, at least one, one knuckle bone is always a good addition to a set because that's going to be potentially something that you could, could designate as this is going to be the thing that's going to speak to issues around work or career for me, right? Projects that I may be getting involved in. Right. Next, we see a leg bone. Right. What do we do with our legs? What do animals use their legs for? Right. They, they move us around. So leg bones of really pretty much any kind of animal um, are going to really have a lot to do with travel, uh, physical movement, these kinds of things. Right. So a leg bone is another good addition. And it doesn't need to be, again, an elaborate and exotic kind of an animal that this comes from. You know, this can be a bone that you salvage from like a drumstick you know say you go to the grocery store and you buy like who knows like a rotisserie chicken or something right or I, who you know who knows right somehow you you know you get your hand on a drumstick right save that bone clean that bone and clean it well because the greasy bones in your throwing set are not going to be a good thing they're, they're going to stink and they're going to get your other stuff in there gross but um but a leg bone from a chicken perfect 
all right? Um, ribs. Ribs, when you think again anatomically about how ribs work, you know, they kind of keep everything in place, right? They kind of create um, kind of like a, like a holding, right? Like they hold and they kind of in a, in a different way they protect, right? Or, or because of the way that they do that, they, you know, they kind of enclose, you know, many of our more sensitive internal organs, right? And so ribs are most commonly associated with protection. Vertebrae, um, but really, again, any kind of animal, um, really doesn't matter where it comes from. Um, obviously, you know, you want to consider size, right? As larger animals will have much larger vertebrae, but, uh, but vertebrae, interesting associations with vertebrae. Um, and I guess the easiest way to explain the interpretive meaning there would be that vertebrae, uh, vertebrae represent our ancestry. They represent ancestry, um, depending on your practice, perhaps maybe even your mighty dead. Um, so basically the spirits that came before us, the spirits that are behind us, and yet also the spirits that help to guide us forward. So vertebrae is always uh, a good, good addition to a set. Teeth. Um, teeth are, again, a little different in that you have to consider not necessarily the type of animal that the tooth came from. This is not the source of the tooth, but the actual type of tooth. Um, so when we're talking about, say, sharp teeth, canines, these kinds of things, Right? We're seeing um, an indication of, um, well, boundary. You know, when you think about a dog um, or just an animal that is in, you know, feels threatened in some sense, right? They, they kind of, they haul back and they bare their teeth, right? And that bearing of that, those teeth is to you or whoever it is that's maybe making them feel threatened. That's a sign like, I'm asserting a boundary. Do not come any closer to me. I will bite you. I will attack you, right? So sharp teeth canines, these kinds of teeth, are going to most often be associated with the asserting of boundaries. This is kind of where we draw a line, right? Um, molars, or teeth that are used more for chewing and grinding, have a bit more to do with um, processes or, or things around that we would identify maybe as like nourishment or uh, like food or things that um, that kind of just balance out our lives in those ways, right? So um, like kind of like the needs and the wants, the material needs and wants, right? Not money necessarily, but the other things, right? Claws or talons, and again, they can come from different sources, um, different different places, but claws and talons are, are when they fall are typically, typically going to be what you see associated with attack or the need to maybe like take a risk of some sort, there's usually a little bit of an element of danger associated with claws and talons, right? These are things that animals use in the wild to hunt, right? And certainly to, to defend themselves as well, right? But but these are, are tools of, of aggression, typically. <clears throat> so when you see uh, claws, talons land in your set, and you'll want to probably include at least one in your set, um, again, that's usually an indication, an interpretive indication, like, oh, there's an element of risk. There's some danger around this. Shells. Um, and shells, again, so many different kinds of shell, right? Um, so entirely up to you. Um, in a lot of traditions, cowrie shells are very com common. Um, and you, you can interpret cowrie shells in a number of ways. Um, and I, you know, want to say, though, that you don't need to go with cowrie shells. You could really use any other kind of shell. Um, shells typically are going to align us to spirits, not necessarily our ancestors, right? Remember, we talked about vertebrae 
being a, a representation of ancestry or ancestral spirits. Um, shells actually are going to have a little more uh, focus on spirits around us today, like, you know, the active spirits that we work with, and also typically non-human spirits. Um, shells can also be representations of God, or I should say more specifically, goddess or divine feminine energy. And obviously the association of water is there, right? So, so a shell is also a good addition. Yeah. Cowries, since I mentioned them, when you, if you go looking for cowries, I'm going to recommend that you use at least three cowries to your set or add at least three cowries to your set. And I would say for the sake of ease and interpretation, look for the cowries that have been halved. You can find cowries where they, um, they take, uh, they basically, they cut the kind of the top of the shell off. And, um, and so it kind of creates this, like this open kind of thing where you have the original, what would be considered the mouth, the original opening of the shell. And that is called a mouth, even in divination, um, that is the mouth of the shell. And then if you flip that over to the, the part of the shell that's been cut, um, that is going to be interpreted as an ear. Um, so when you see cowries, if you cast cowries and they fall, if the three of the three that you've got in your kit, again, you know, depending on how you've done this, right, the three that fall, um, if the majority of them fall mouth up, that is typically an indication that your spirits are speaking. And you're, you could be in that moment, like receiving additional signs, or there could be additional divinatory things going on around, right? And it's good for you to be paying attention. Um, if they fall the other way, they land ear up, that is a sign that your spirits are listening. And that's a good time or a good moment for you maybe to like, like amp up your prayer, you know, make offering to the spirits that you work with because they are open and receptive to what is coming from you in those instances. Um, and we, you know, can see that that's a good way to, you know, support our relationships with those spirits, right? Moving on to uh, pieces of horn or antler. Um, Horn and antler are um, typically going to have associations to say like higher reasoning. Um, a lot of people in the new age community use terms like higher self, right? Um, that, that component of our being. Um, they also can be indications of divine masculine energy. Um, they can be signs of things like order and administration, bureaucracy, these kinds of things. Right, um, so a small piece of antler or horn is, is something that would also make a good addition to a kit because those are all things that we find ourselves, I think, dealing with more and more in our world, right? <clears throat> a braid of hair, and of course, I mean a small braid of hair, okay? Something that maybe that would be only, I mean, at the most, maybe five inches or so long, right? Um, a braid of hair is a really nice addition to a set, and it can be hair that can come from really anywhere. Um, traditionally, you would want this braid of hair to belong to or to have been cut from the head of like the person that you love most. So this could be, um, who knows, maybe a, a beloved parent. This could be another member of your family. This could be a relationship partner. This could be a child, right? Um, I was just talking to a student of mine um, in the last few days, and uh, she is going to actually take a cutting from her the, the tail of her dog. Uh, her dog apparently grows goes really nice long fur along its tail and she's going to take some of that. Um, then you braid that and you, you, t you anchor it well, right? Tie the, tie the ends of the, that braid real well, you know? And, um, and obviously these, this item as it was, would be included in your set is going to be something that's going to represent the, the nature of that relationship, personal connections, family, these kinds of things. So again, another good addition. Now we're going to move into, um, things that have uh, 
more to do with, uh, I think, the practice of sortilage as they are not necessarily organic items. Many of them are man-made. Um, you know, and, and again, that doesn't mean that they lose any kind of interpretive value or that they don't hold spirit. They absolutely do, uh, because over time that energy really comes from you. Uh, but I wanted to talk about these because these can also be really powerful things to add to, uh, to your set. Okay? Um, I want to talk about adding a crystal. And when I say a crystal, I'm talking like just a tiny clear quartz point. Okay? Um, it doesn't need to be really pretty and shiny. In fact, it's better that it might not be pretty and shiny because over time it's going to be chipped and scratched and it's going to be bumping into all the other things in your set. So um, so don't go out and spend a whole bunch of money on a, a pretty crystal. Okay, um, it's, it's not going to make a difference. Okay. Um, Clear quartz is um, it's amplifying and it is uh, a stone that is associated with power. And so to add a small crystal to your set is going to be um, a way for you to focus a reading. The way that that works in essence is that wherever the crystal may land, that's kind of where you want to begin your reading, right? And then you can read out from there. You read the other things there, right? But that's, that's a, a kind of a nice way, particularly as you are learning, to make sure that you have something that tells you right where you need to go. The next item I would encourage that you add to your set would be a key. Um, and it can be any kind of key. I know a lot of people, when they hear that, they go, you get that immediate association of something like maybe like an old skeleton key um, or just like an antique key, but you, you don't need to go there. Seriously, you can go to like a local hardware store and even just buy a key blank and put that in your set. Um, keys have, in so many different traditions, keys have lots of different um, meanings. Um, and symbolism. So, um, but but in the process of it determining uh, meaning in in a, a say a casting of your set, keys are typically going to be associated with you know obviously passage, right? Helping us to move forward, the discovery of something, right? Keys in almost every uh, way that they are used have something to do with allowing us to get to a place that we couldn't before, right? They can also be symbolic of secrets, right? Or secret kinds of knowledge. Um, information that again has yet to be discovered right so it's really going to kind of depend on, on maybe some of your personal association but a key is always a good addition to a set a coin of some sort right very clearly right money association right and again it doesn't need to be any kind of fancy coin right it can be seriously just a quarter right that you that you pull out of a, a coin jar or who knows maybe the little thing in your car right who knows right but um but you know obviously you know pick something that feels appropriate for you just a single coin beads um and again i typically tell people like look to look for beads that would maybe be um carved of wood or uh again if you're lucky enough you can find bone beads uh but usually like and you just need the one just just one you know and a decent sized kind of bead right um so it'll hold up well and not get lost but beads are typically going to be uh, associated with like commerce uh, commerce and communication you know uh the communication that happens around like the negotiation the deal being made right um and we can see of course if we we are at all familiar with some of the uh cultures in you know throughout historically we can see many cultures who actually used beads as a form of currency so the interpretation there is is pretty consistent um, but a bead is a really cool thing to kind of use to focus on the communication and the deals that are being made. 
a ring, just a simple ring, nothing fancy. It can even be like a piece of costume jewelry. Um, if you you can find uh, a ring that's maybe been etched or carved for out of some sort of stone, wonderful. Although sometimes the stone rings don't really hold up very well, so be, be mindful of that. Uh, but rings, um, love, romance, these, these kinds of things, you know, not marriage necessarily, but something that could maybe be the, the promise of marriage, right? So again, pretty straightforward on that one. Buttons. Um, and again, look for wood or bone buttons. They're actually not too difficult to find, uh, particularly if you go hit up like an old antique shop. Um, buttons are interesting though because you'll interpret different buttons in slightly different ways. And the thing really to look for there is the number of holes that the button has. If it is a two-hole button, that is typically going to be an indication or the sign that you would look for for marriage or that kind of commitment in a relationship, right? Um, if it has four holes, that is also an indication of partnerships, but not marriage. These are other kinds of life partnerships, okay? So um, so, again, so pay attention to how many holes you got going there. Um, I would say maybe consider adding one of each, like one two-hold button and one four-hold button. Dice or a, a single die, right? Pretty clear on this one, opportunity, right? We think about dice gambling, you know, again, the casting of lots, these kinds of things, right? So opportunity or chance, right? Maybe a little bit of luck or fortune in there. Dominoes. Uh, dominoes have, um, interestingly enough, interpretive meaning around business, like business that is being done. Um, they could be similar to beads in their interpretation, but the beads really primarily have um, interpretive meaning around the communication that is happening, where the dominoes are kind of like, okay, like we're striking the deal, like now a contract has been signed. There's a bit more formality around dominoes. A bullet casing is gonna be another item that I would maybe suggest you, you look for or try to include in your set. Um, now it doesn't have to be a bullet casing, okay? But a bullet casing would be something that could, could be a bit more traditional depending on uh, culture and practice. Um, bullet casings, if you think about kind of what that represents, right? Um, the past letting go, right? It's what is left after the bullet has been fired, right? After we've moved forward in some way, right? This is kind of what, what is cast off or what is left, right? So um, a bullet casing is a really good representation for the past, letting go. Um, but, you know, I understand that some people are like, oh, I don't really want to put a bullet casing in my set, or I'm not quite sure how to get my hands on a bullet casing. Um, you know, and in that situation, I'm going to say, you know, find something else that maybe represents that for you, another indication of the past, dried beans and again they can be any kind of bean but you want to make sure that they're dried and you want to make sure that they are um like they get kind of like they're kind of solid right like they're sturdy like they're not going to deteriorate too quickly and you really just need one just one um dried beans in a lot of cultures particularly some of those coming out of europe um have very interesting associations and we always uh, of course tie beans to like you know food right because you know we eat beans right but um, but beans actually, as they show up in um, a throwing set, they're going to be an interpretation or the way to interpret them is actually as a sign of illness or sickness. Okay? Um, and the reason for that is that beans typically represent scarcity. Like if you've got nothing else left, that's what you eat, right? You eat beans, right? So there's kind of this idea that you are scarcity or that you are lacking or without what you need. And that typically aligns to... Um, Again, an indication of maybe illness or sickness of some sort, right? And we need to have something in the set that maybe represents that, right? We um, we don't really live in a world, I think, too many of us where we're, we're ever able to really completely elude 
illness, right? We all catch a cold, we all get the flu, right? Um, one last note on that, I, I want to suggest that you look for um, personal charms, that you consider adding some personal charms to your set. And that can really be, again, anything. You know, I've seen a lot of people over the years that have added, uh, well, just all kinds of stuff. Like I've seen people throw additional pieces of jewelry in there. I've seen people um, throw, uh, you know, add just whatever it is that for them holds interpretive value and something that um, can either be used to replace one of the other items that I've listed or that can maybe add an extra element to uh, a reading, maybe that the other items don't quite cover or address, right? Um, so don't be afraid to add a few of those as well. Now, as to the process of a reading, okay, um, you'll want to, of course, get things set up, right? And I, I typically tell people when you're doing divinatory work to, you know, kind of like set a timer. There are a few additional things that I, I, I usually like to tell my students to bring to a reading, right? One, a timer, um, you know, usually we have something like that on a cell phone now, right? Um, and for this kind of process of reading, I'm going to really want to say, like, you probably really don't want to go longer than, say, about a half an hour or so. Um, you know, of course, that's entirely up to you and your, your personal stamina or stamina when it comes to um, psychic and spiritual work, right? But um, but usually you can get most of the info that you need um, within about 30 minutes. Um, I also want to encourage you to add some sort of um, means of documentation to the process. Um, you know, keep a notebook handy. Um, as soon as you're done with your reading, you know, maybe, maybe get into like a note uh, application on your phone, right? Something where you can record what's going on because as is very often the case, we, we very, or sometimes we need to be able to go back and look at that reading, um, you know, sometimes days, weeks, months later, right? So you'll want to, you've got your set, you've got, um, if you're still using one, a throwing mat, a bowl, um, you know, you've got a timer, you've got something there to document the process, and you're going to sit at the beginning of that reading and you're going to hold the the bones in your hands. And typically they're, they're still in the container, right? They're still in, in whatever it is that you use to carry them, right? You're going to hold that in your hands and you're going to focus your mind. You're going to take a moment um, and focus your mind on um, what it is you need to ask, what it is you want to know, right? Maybe they're not specific questions, but maybe there's a, a more specific type of guidance that you're looking for, right? And in any kind of divination process, being specific is going to be a, a better way for you to work. Don't just sit down and go, well, whatever the universe has for me, you know, you could get an answer, but it's probably not going to be an answer that you're going to really be able to easily apply, right? So be specific. There's nothing wrong with specificity in divination. Um, you're going to maybe shake those bones a little bit, right? Jostle them around a little bit in that, in whatever it is that you've got them in, right? And, um, and then when you're ready, kind of with like a flick of your wrist, like open that container, open that bag and flip those bones, right? Flip those bones and let those just kind of scatter, let them land where they may around the surface that you're reading on, right? Um, one of the other things that, that I have found, and this is something that pops up in a few different practices, but when you, after you've cast the bones, it's a good idea to actually like breathe over them, like exhale and breathe over the bones. Um, that is seen in some practices as uh, an additional exchange of energy or for a way for you to all, um, kind of heighten or wake those bones up a little bit, right? Our breath carries life, right? Um, and that's a way for you to share that a bit. 
I've also seen people kind of move their hands over their bones, kind of just like, kind of like, hope, you know, hovering or, you know, let their hands kind of float over the bones um, for a few seconds before they start reading. Um, and there's nothing wrong with that. You can absolutely do that as well because there's energy there also. But to be very careful, don't bump anything that has landed, right? Don't bump or move something accidentally with your hands because it'll alter the outcome of your reading. So the, what I always want to try to say, like like the the mechanics of the interpretation of a, of a bone reading are again usually pretty 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 simple, pretty straightforward, um, and comparable I find to a lot of other divinatory systems, um, particularly um, like tea leaf reading, these kinds of things, these kinds of processes, tassiomancy. Um, but some some general guidelines for you to be aware of: okay? um, bones that fall further out, like as you're looking at your reading surface, and you have through your eye, you've got kind of like like this is the center of my reading. Right? Or maybe say so you put like that, that tiny quartz crystal in there so you know that that's kind of right where you want to go first. Bones and items that fall further out from that point are typically going to be interpreted as uh, energies and influences that hold less power over what is happening in the present. Right? The further out they are, the less significant they may be, um, and potentially even depending on how you read, they can be an indication or that, that falling further out can be an indication of how they, um, these are things that have yet to happen, right? These are things that are also maybe happening further out in time, right? So, so go with your own instinct on that a little bit as you would maybe interpret um, distance between items or, or how they may fall, okay? Um, bones that will fall further in to the center or to the point of focus in your reading, at least as you begin, again, obviously the reverse, right? These are like the very pressing and current kinds of things that you probably need to be looking at a bit more. Bones that land alone, they kind of land kind of by themselves, okay, will typically have a stronger or more outstanding influence in a reading. Okay, um, these usually are things in life that hold more power over current circumstances and potentially even hold uh, more powerful answers for you in your interpretation. So look for those ones that kind of stand out there on their own, like, you know, like they're kind of being a little bit of a diva there, you know, like they're the ones that are kind of saying like, hey, look at me, pay attention to me. I've got something big for you, okay? Um, bones that cluster or fall over each other are typically going to show combining energies or situations. Okay. Um, and it, what that basically means is that you have to interpret those items kind of together in a sense, right? If you've got, um, who knows, say like, uh, a die that falls next to a leg bone, right? We could see those as they connect, as they kind of lay across or are very close to each other. We could interpret those together in one answer in the form of, say, maybe an indication of movement and travel associated with the leg bone. And then, of course, the opportunity or the chance that associates with the die. So we could see that as an indication of like, hey, you know, there's an opportunity for travel coming up. Or maybe by deciding to take that trip you've been considering, this will open up some sort of other opportunity for you, right? Um, so that's just an example of how you could interpret those things. Um, more, it is, it is more common that a lot of your items will actually kind of fall in patterns where they, they do kind of interconnect and fall across each other. And so you will want to um, invest a little bit of time into developing like, okay, how am I, how am I going to read more than one thing at a time, right? That's, that's going to be something that's going to happen. But in that, that that's also going to be one of the things that's going to give you, I think, deeper, uh, richer, more meaningful answers as you're, you're working with your, your set. Uh, bones that, can, that fall can often form other shapes and even letters. Um, and those need to be interpreted a bit differently. And I guess to, to kind of clarify that, you know, I keep saying bones, but it might not be a bone, right? It could be something else, right? Um, 
it could be, um, you know, a couple of things that fall and say maybe they form the letter. Well, so here's an example. Okay, so say you throw your, your set and you've got a knuckle bone that has a particularly longer shape and a tooth, right? Uh, like a canine, like a, like a, like a pointy tooth, right, uh, for boundaries. So they fall in a way, and because of the way that they overlap, they look like a T, or they form a kind of a primitive or a very basic T kind of a shape, right? One of the ways that you could interpret this is that this is an indication that a boundary needs to be set at work, right? We have boundary popping up with the tooth. We have work popping up with the knuckle bone. Right, um, and because of the association or the form of the letter T, it might be necessary for you to assert that boundary at work with a coworker or someone whose name begins with the letter T. Right, so you maybe you work with a Tom or a Terry or a, you know a Tammy, whoever. Right, like this could be assigned to you. Like this is somebody who maybe is is you need to kind of maybe keep this person at arm's length, right, or assert a healthier boundary here. Right, so again, just another example of how that could possibly be interpreted. Okay. Um, for more focused readings, um, again, I'm going to recommend that you find the bone or the item that you know represents the particular aspect of life uh, that you're looking at, right? If you want to focus entirely on like your financial situation, as you cast your bones, and don't manipulate their movement, right? You still cast them as you would for any other kind of reading. But in once you've got everything down and everything is kind of settled and you don't want to look at like an entire whole life kind of picture, go right to the items in your set that you know have clear association to money, finance, these kinds of things, right? And then just read that area, right? That is perfectly acceptable. So when you're done with a reading, make sure that you give thanks to your bones. At the time that you finish a reading, then that is, it is okay for you then to lay your hands on your bones because this, I mean, again, is all about your connection, right? And, and honoring the spirits, right? Um, you know, place them back in their bag or the box, however it is that, you know, however you may store them and then uh, clear up anything else that you've incorporated into your reading practice. Um, and then again, remember to document the experience so that you don't lose details, okay? Um, it's always a good idea when you complete a divinatory uh, process to do some sort of grounding, just to kind of bring you back to the present. But I, I will say I've found over the years, not just for me, but for other people that I've talked to about their osteomantic practices, um, that working with bones and items that are derived from like biological animal sources, um, something about doing that kind of work already tends to be very grounding in nature bones and those kinds of things just have a very grounded kind of a kind of a, a nature to in, in themselves so um so i have found that grounding isn't quite as necessary like i've had i've not had to do that as consistently when doing osteomantic readings over the years but we're all a bit different when it comes to that energetically okay so again remember grounding is always going to be good practice right consider it like just good spiritual hygiene um but that's pretty much it. Um, and I, like I said, I thought it would be fun maybe to get on here and talk about this. Um, you know, I kind of ran through this really quickly. Um, but with some of the information presented here, I hope that those of you who have an interest in something like osteomancy or sortilage will feel a little more empowered to kind of go out, you know, kind of kind of dig into that a bit more maybe. And, you know, and ultimately, you know, do something in the process that helps you to expand your, um, maybe your current divinatory practices. Um, yeah. Uh, I hope that this information has been helpful. And um, yeah, as I said, we will be back next week with another uh, regular episode. And uh, we have some other really kind of exciting guests popping up here 
in the next few weeks uh, on the podcast, so stay tuned. Uh, depending on where you're listening to us, please go in and you know give us a like, give us a review, send us a message. If you have any questions of your own that you would like us to answer, please send those to us so that we can get that taken care of for you. All right, and uh, yeah, otherwise, I hope you have a good week, and we'll be chatting at you soon. Thanks so much. So we do have one listener question this week, um, and I wanted to uh, get on here and address this or to answer this because I think actually it'll, it'll be a pretty quick response. Um, so basically, um, well, here we go. So listener contacts us to, to say, and this is this is kind of just you know trans, transcript from you know a voice message that we got. So uh, family is psychic. Right, this person's family is psychic. They they have psychic ability. Their mother has psychic ability. So this is something that kind of goes back through the line, right? And the story that 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 they relate is that when they were young, they left the house. Their mother went into their room. They they suspect just to kind of snoop, right? Um, and had an experience with uh, what seemed to be a malevolent spirit in this person's room, right? Um, of course, the the D word demon was was dropped, right? Um, but apparently th- this person in this situation, uh, the listener's mother, in facing this, this malevolent spirit, she was able to uh, stand her ground and fight this thing off, and it went away. Um, I guess the the question, really, the, the, the source of the question, or the first part of the question is, is that this listener is curious because they've noticed over the years that their mother consistently sees negative things whenever there is an experience a psychic experience a visual experience any kind of encounter with spirit um for her mother at least this is always a negative scary awful kind of a thing terrifying kind of thing um and so i guess the first question is is what's going on with that in an answer i want to say that i i don't believe that this actually has anything to do with the spirits involved in these moments i think that this is really primarily all about your mother and the way that she uh, kind of thinks about her ability. You know, if there is something in her that would be um, related to fear around the spiritual world, spoken or not, right? Um, so personal issues of fear, you'd volunteered with the voicemail that you'd left us that your mother, um, you believe she has some some other kinds of mental health issues, you know, and that is one of the other things that can pop up, you know. Um, I think, to be honest, we live in a world now where the majority of us are mentally ill, but um, but I do know that many people out there who are mentally ill and then also do have very pronounced psychic ability, um, that those two things can, can sometimes interweave or overlap in, in really unfortunate ways. And, you know, if you've got someone that is not in a good state, someone that is not in control of their spiritual gifts... Um, due to mental illness, um, they're, they're going to have, uh, more likely they're going to have more negative experiences. Uh, but again, I think the, the root of that or the core of that, once again, has more to do with that person, their mental state, their emotional state, and how they are interpreting the experiences that they are, are having. Um, the, the reality is that there really are just not that many malevolent spirits running around out there trying to interact with us. Um, you know, it's not, I'm not saying they don't exist. They absolutely do. Um, but the likelihood that your mother came face to face with a demon in your bedroom all those years ago, not too high, not, not, not very likely, not unless you or someone else in the house had deliberately done something to call that kind of spirit into the space. Yeah. I'm, I'm going to say something else was going on there. Um, now, um, I, you, one of the other things that you asked in that particular situation or story that you related was, you know, if, if this, this experience that your mother had all those years ago in your room with this, this malevolent spirit was, again, really maybe more of an issue of your mother's personal 
uh, issues around being able to, um, you know, interpret her experiences and also always kind of going to a darker and negative space with these kinds of experiences. Um, and, and again, I want to say yes, um, echoing what I said kind of a few moments back, I think that this is, is really entirely in your, in your mother's head or in your mother's heart when you look at the way that she is uh, identifying these spiritual contacts, these kinds of experiences, um, you know, if, if there is overall overwhelmingly a negative kind of an association, that's got nothing to do with the spirit realm that that's, that's, that's on your mom. Um, and we need to, you know, I think have a little bit of a, of an honest conversation around that when that, when that topic comes up, right? Because again, there are spirits out there that can be harmful or spirits that we would consider, you know, malevolent in nature, but the likelihood that we run into those spirits too consistently really is again, not very great. Um, more often what's happening in these situations where we have what we could maybe identify as a negative spiritual encounter is you're, you're dealing with, um, Maybe, maybe something that would be um, like a spirit of the land or some sort of a guardian spirit. These are spirits very often that can come through that can be uh, intimidating and they can have a heavier, uh, what some people would interpret as kind of a, a, a more aggressive or even potentially malevolent kind of energy. It does not mean that they are an evil or harmful spirit necessarily. Um, that's just some component of their being, right? I think people get this a lot when they deal with uh, very old forest spirits or very old mountain spirits like land spirits. Um, because of their age and because of just the kind of the, the position that they hold as guardians of the, the wild places that they live, they, they can absolutely have um, a, a more aggressive kind of an energy. And if you're not familiar enough with what you're doing, if you haven't learned enough about the diversity of spirits in the world, um, coming across something like that as someone who maybe isn't as knowledgeable, absolutely, you're going to go to probably worst case scenario and think that you're dealing with a demon, but mm, no. No, you're not. Um, so hopefully that helps. Um, I would say to the extent that your mother has an interest, it would probably be good for her to do a little bit of additional work on, um, well, basically just learning a bit more about her intuitive ability and her gifts. Uh, but, I, you know, to better control that, I think, to expand her knowledge on the different types of spirits that we can uh, consistently come into contact with would be a good idea as well. Um, and I, I want to say, just based on some of the information that you, you shared, um, I, I really do want to say it would, it would certainly be good for some effort to be made on your mother's part and for those of you around her who love her to see if there was something that could be done to help maybe bolster her mental health a little bit. Um, you know, that's that's going to be one of these things that, that really, I think, is really to be honest, key. Like the mental health is, is certainly the first piece. Yeah. Uh, but hopefully that answers your question. And if not, you know how to contact us and uh, we'll see if we maybe we hear from you again. All right. But thank you so much for sending in a question. And again, those of you who listen, uh, send us your questions. We will we will absolutely get back to you with an answer. Thank you so much.